welcome to the podcast. Every week I'll share leadership thoughts, books I'm reading, or tools I'm using to teach leadership skills. I believe everyone has influence. Every family, school, church, city, country is determined by its capacity for effective leadership. So let's jump in. Welcome to Leadership Podcast, where I'm sharing with you processes I'm going through right now. And we've been looking into APART, A-P-A-R-T, which is a tool, a mechanism that my good friend and mentor, caregiver, Dr. Gary Sweeten, developed a number of years ago to help assess how we are thinking. Gary is an expert on renewing the mind, how to renew your mind, how to how to intercept ants, automatic negative thoughts, and turn those around. And if you're like me, I've needed that in a most challenging of last 12 months that uh, has really only amped up in many ways. I've been using this tool. It starts with adversity hits. We all face adversity. A, that's the first A, adversity hits. We can't eliminate adversity. It's going to happen. And that can lead to pessimistic thinking where we have negative thoughts that we uh, cycle through and through and through and we get into this loop of pervasive, permanent, personal negativity that can lead then to anxiety, can lead to anger and deep angst. And today we come to that point of the R, which is critical. This is the pivot point in our thinking processes. And if you're like me, this I've needed because I realize how much R stands for what I do, rumination. Rumination is the opposite of what we want to go to and we will end this session with, and that is meditation. Rumination is the circling and the cycling of negative thinking where we just keep going back over and back over in our self-talk, our pessimistic thoughts, our pessimistic feelings, our pessimistic projections. Rumination is the killer app of self-talk. The scriptures tell us that we are to meditate on God and, and we're not to ruminate on catastrophe, on pain, on disaster, on negativity. We are to think positive thoughts, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, or praiseworthy. Think about these things. We, we talked about that in recent months. One of the things Gary says is that sometimes he plays golf with a friend of his who's a pessimist. He's just wired that way. And one day his pessimist friend had a 30-foot putt for par, and he hit it firmly. And as soon as it left the putter, he started yelling at himself in the ball. About 20 feet away, it took a sharp turn and then eventually found the hole. I don't know if you know anything about golf, but 30-foot putts are very rare to make. But that didn't change this guy's pessimism. He said, ah, it was just dumb luck. How many of you were wired that way or you were raised that way? There's either a nurture or a nature element to it that even when events go correctly, even when outcomes are what's desired, you can even be pessimistic with that. Pessimists can't accept blessing, really. There's always a condition to it. There's a psalm, Psalm 13, that the psalmist said, how long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? For the pessimist, there's always this wrestling going on. And envision two wrestlers that are just rolling and rolling and rolling and rolling on the mat. 
That's rumination. A simple mistake like flubbing a golf swing can lead to a day of misery. Rumination destroys our peace. It undermines our serenity. It leads to reviewing our stroke, watching the flight of the ball, seeing it splash into the water and disappear over and over and over again. I have accepted that it's part of the process of recovery, but when I come home from preaching on a Sunday, I can ruminate over something I did wrongly. And this tool has given me a better way to intercept rumination, reverse it, and lead to meditation, which leads to peace and serenity. If I don't do that, my mood will get worse and worse as my replays go to the high-quality audio-video player in my head that we call the brain. With every ruminating thought, my sad, anxious feelings will get worse until I can sink into despair and... And then I and then I and I don't know how to get myself out of it except to go to bed and just sleep it off. We there's a better way to do it. And your spouse will love this, your friends will love this, your family will love this, because there is a way that you don't have to be a victim of rumination. Now, before I get into what meditation is, I want to lead toward that with what I call the three levels of self-talk. The first level is incriminating. This tends to be personal, pervasive, and permanent, and we, we do a, almost a self-flagellation. We incriminate ourselves as some sort of penal response to our imperfection. And the reason I want to say this is those of you who are perfectionists, like myself, are really susceptible to incriminating thinking. We uh, talked about this in the last podcast But Brené Brown said, I think perfectionism exists along a continuum. We all have some perfectionistic tendencies. For some, perfectionism may emerge only when they are feeling particularly vulnerable. For others, perfectionism can be compulsive, chronic, debilitating, similar to addiction. And Brené Brown writes that exploring our fears and changing our self-talk are two critical steps in overcoming perfectionism. The results of this two-step shift are life-changing. Because for me, she writes, perfectionism didn't lead to results. It led to a lot of peanut butter and ice cream. That's what we do. We tend to, we can't win, and we get in this incriminating cycle, and we want to numb it. It may not be peanut butter and ice cream. It may be porn. It may be alcohol. It may be drugs. It may be compulsive competition, whatever. But here's an example. Brené Brown says, like most women, she writes, I struggle with body image, self-confidence, and the always complicated relationship between food and emotions. Here's the difference between perfectionism diets and healthy goals. Perfectionism self-talk says, oh, nothing fits. I'm fat and ugly. I'm ashamed of how I look. I need to be different than I am right now to be worthy of love and belonging. For me, as a preacher, that is, I get done with a sermon, I was like, oh, how long do I have to do this before I'm finally a professional at this? And I don't make these rookie mistakes. Healthy, striving self-talk that is not incriminating is this, she writes. I want this for me. I want to feel better and be healthier. The scale doesn't dictate if I'm loved and accepted. If I believe that I'm worthy of love and respect now, I will invite courage, compassion, and connection into my life. I want to figure this out for me. I can do this. For me as a preacher, healthy, non-incriminating, striving self-talk is, hey, I laid my best effort out there today. 
I know God was honored with the effort I put into preparation and delivery. And uh, I'm just going to rest in that. It's simply in intercepting the first layer of self-talk, which is incrimination. Incrimination. And it really comes from perfectionism. And so make sure that you understand that incriminating talk is very dangerous. It's deadly to your sense of being in yourself. There's no honor in it. If you're a Christ follower, there's no virtue in it. To be um, ungracious towards yourself, there is no value in that. Dr. Kristen Neff is a researcher and professor at the University of Texas, and she runs the Self-Compassion Research Lab, where she studies how we develop self-compassion. And she says there are three elements to non-incriminating treatment of self. Self-kindness, being warm and understanding that we are human and we're going to fail. We're going to feel inadequate. And it's okay to feel the pain of that because we're human. A common humanity is number two. It recognizes that suffering and feelings of inadequacy are part of the shared human experience. I'm not the only one who didn't hit all his free throws this week. I'm not the only one who made mistakes in sermon preparation. I'm not the only one who failed a little bit on my diet. And then the third one is mindfulness, she says, taking a balanced approach to negative emotions so that feelings are neither suppressed nor exaggerated. But I'm aware of them. And I, I don't have to identify with them in an exaggerated way, but I can accept my humanity for what it is and be mindful of it, even as it's feeling imperfect, as long as I don't go to incriminating. That's level one of self-talk. Level two is indifferent. Now, this is actually an improvement on incriminating self-talk. Indifferent is better because this is a step toward what Trevor Moad, the mental coach, calls neutral thinking. This is maybe one of your steps toward step three of this self-talk process because you need to get toward the fact that I don't have to overreact to the outcomes of my life and my own inabilities to execute those outcomes the way I want. In our Players Box ministry, we teach a principle called Big You, Little You. Big You is this flowing version of yourself that is not overthinking Little you is the self-analytical, overcritical voice in your head that if you let, it will take over. And anxiety in any motion, any action always slows you down 0.3 seconds. And so we teach that little you is the slower you. Big you is the flowing you. But one of the things we teach is that little you deals in judgment. That was a terrible shot. You're so bad. Did you just start playing this game? That's a judgment. Big U deals in facts. Hmm, I missed that long. That's a fact. I don't have to ignore that reality. I can, I can say, I made a mistake. And do it in a neutral way. And this is moving toward healthy self-talk when we become indifferent, a healthy indifference. Because then we're setting ourselves up for the third and the goal, the, the layer of self-talk that is the goal, and that is inspirational self-talk. Now, we've all had speakers that we thought, they're inspiring to me. Have you ever thought about yourself being one of your inspiring speakers? Because that's what meditation is. Meditation is the part where I use, so to speak, self-talk 
to speak into God's reality, and it can be inspirational. And I, for whatever reason, I miss this for years. And as I've used the apart tool in recent weeks, and I've gotten to rumination or meditation, I've done a couple things that have just been inspiring. I've done one for a long time, and that is when I find myself ruminating. So if I wake up at 3.30 in the morning and I start ruminating on something uh, that has to do with a strategy or an inadequacy in, in our organization, I'll start meditating on God's reality through Psalm 23. Memorize it. Memorize Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in one. He makes me walk in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they come for me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of enemies. You anoint my head with oil. And, and you, you will go before me all the days of my life as mercy and goodness follow me. And I can't tell you how many times I just loop through that to get my brain off of my rumination and meditating on the sufficiency of God or the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer is another one that you can hijack rumination by just getting your brain on, on our expanded version of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who fills the space around us, we set your name apart. I set your name apart right now. You are other, but you are listening to me. Your will be done. Your rule over my life come on earth as it is in heaven. Give me today what I need, and I'll be thankful for that. Forgive me where I fall short. May I be gracious to myself through your grace and gracious to others. Don't lead me into temptation. I can find it myself. Lead me down a path of righteousness for your name's sake, and uh, to you be the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. I mean, that's just a simple way to hijack rumination is just repeat those. Those are simple, well-known texts in the Bible, the words of God. The second thing is that, that when I'm ruminating, it's really powerful, inspirational self-talk, is to take a recent song, especially one we've done at Southbrook, and worship with it. And so I'll often, I'll be listening on a Sunday, and I'm standing up front, and we have a song that I go, man, I want to put that in my worship playlist. And I'll just do a search on the song, get the lyrics, and usually they're memorable melodies. And I'll just, that's my interception of rumination is to worship. So this morning, literally, I was having some ruminating tendencies I was going into. And there was a song that we did yesterday at Southbrook, Lord, you reign above it all. You reign above it all over the universe, over everyone. You reign above it all. And I just sang that song out, and it released me from the track of rumination, of dark self-talk. When it starts to creep in, and it will, you do not have to spin in the darkness of rumination. You use scripture, you use worship to allow the light to come in. And if you don't know how to do that, then just what you've done when you've listened to favorite songs on the radio do that with a song that you heard at church. If you need suggestions, email southbrook.org and we'll give you some suggestions so that you too can intercept the tendency to ruminate and learn to meditate. The word for meditation in Hebrew is the same word used for a rope with three strands. 
Meditation is where we focus on the light of God. We wrap ourselves with like as with a rope around the reality of God's grace and his love. And if you'll do that today, you won't ruminate, you'll meditate. Until next time on the Leadership Podcast, this is Charlie McNamara. Thanks for listening. Tune in every week as we continue learning and growing in faith, in life, and leadership. And if this has been helpful to you, subscribe and spread the word. And I will talk to you next week.